Welcome to the One Crossing Podcast. Here you can find past sermons along with other exclusive content. Our prayer is that God will move in your life even when you are on the go. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning, Crossing Church. How are you doing this morning? It is so good to be with you today. I want to welcome all of our campuses joining with us all across this region, three states wide. If you're inside online.tv, we're so thankful for you as well. I hope you had a great Christmas with your families. Did you have a good Christmas? And I hope you did. Uh, we had an awesome, awesome Christmas. So thankful for my family. And uh, I just I just hope that uh, you had something that really blessed you. And I hope that you came uh, to our Christmas Eve and Christmas Eve Eve services. We had over 8,000 people that came to those. And, uh, you know, what we talked about was the gift. And we had a, a big gift up here. We actually had 11 of those at 11 different locations that opened up into a nativity scene. And it was just so awesome to see all the kids come up and lay their lights down and sing uh, to Jesus. It was just, uh, just incredible. And I hope that you really enjoyed that. And together with everything else we did on Christmas weekend, we had over 16,000 people. I'm so thankful for that opportunity to be able to share the message that Jesus the Savior is born and that he lived and that he taught us and then he died and he was buried and he rose again on the third day and he's at the right hand of God and he's our Savior and our Lord. He's going to come back for us someday and I'm excited about that. So now today, here we are looking at a brand new year and a brand new decade, right? 2020. And I'm sure like uh, like me, you are praying that it'll be a year of blessing and a year with a minimum of hardships, right? I look back on 2019 and there were some great blessings in it. I mean, two of my three grandchildren were born in 2019. I'm so thankful for that. Yeah. But honestly, I mean, there were some hardships. There's some things I'd rather never ever do again. And I bet there's some of those uh, uh, circumstances that happen in your life as well. And so I, I get it, you know, I, I'm praying for that minimum of hardships. And you know what we do? We tend to make New Year's resolutions. And the reason we do that is because we're trying to make a difference, right? A, a difference across the board, some way of maximizing the blessings and minimizing uh, the hardships, right? So what happens if uh, those difficulties come our way? Is there something that we can do that'll affect all of that together? That'll affect uh, the, the blessings and maximize those and minimize uh, the hard times? Those are, those are the things that I want to share. And even if you do have the hard times, that it would give you hope in the midst of that, that it would remind you of the truth in the midst of that. Well, I've been wrestling with this all during the last half of 2019. Uh, and when I'm wrestling with this, it became the substance of a, of a strategic planning retreat. Our elders, we get together and we do this uh, every year. We meet monthly, but once a year we get together and we really try to think outside the box. We go, what's it look like out there? What's the landscape look like? What do people need as we approach this new year, as we approach this new decade? And how can we honor the Lord in a greater way? And as we went through that and we discussed all of these numbers, we have never been more unified or convinced of what we need to do. You know this, don't you? That at the crossing, we literally count and measure everything. 
And the reason we do that is because nothing matters more to God than people. I mean, the most valuable thing that God ever gave this world was his son. And he gave this world his son because he loves us, right? So nothing matters more to God than people. And we found out as a church, as we went through all these numbers, that we are literally growing larger and smaller at the same time. Now, how's that possible? Some of you are going, now I'm confused. How can you be larger and smaller at the same time? Well, I can tell you this. There are more people attending the crossing than ever in the history of this church. Between 17,000 and 18,000 people a month call the crossing their home and attend the crossing. So that you're going, well, that's great, right? But how are we smaller? Well, people are actually attending less and less often. Between 1.6 and 1.8 times a month. So that's lower than ever before. So if you look at monthly attendance, it's higher. If you look at weekly attendance, it's lower. And my question is this, is that okay? Do we need our church family less than we used to need our church family? How does that affect your life? How does that affect your spiritual life, your family life? And more important, how does God feel about that? So these numbers that we've been looking at and that we shared and talked about at this retreat literally pushed me back into God's word to find out answers for those questions that I could stand on with authority. And it led me to the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2. Now, while I've been considering all of that, like how do we deal with this, there was this phenomena that hit American culture. Now, some of you may not all be hip to culture, right? But there was a big deal that happened here in the middle of October, late part of October, and it was Kanye West releasing a gospel album and with it made a declaration that he was dedicating himself to spread the message of the gospel. If you don't know who Kanye West is, uh, he's a, a hip hop rap artist and married to Kim Kardashian, you know, keeping up with the Kardashians. And he's been known to do some pretty crazy things, right? Lots of crazy things. And now he's saying this, right? Now, if you saw the opening, watching the opening video and uh, uh, the title, all of that comes from this uh, new album. That's where the series came from, Closed on Sunday. It came from this album, Jesus is King. And uh, whether or not you're a Kanye fan, This album uh, was a powerful album. It debuted at number one. Now, when I say that, I'm not just saying that it was number one on the Billboard 200 chart. It was number one on every chart, except for country. (laughs) It was number one on jazz, number one on rhythm and blues, number one on... uh, Uh, hip-hop, number one on rap, number one on contemporary Christian, number one uh, on gospel. I mean, it was just, it just took the whole place by storm. There were 200 million streams of that album in the first week. It sold 109,000 copies in the first week. Now, what's powerful about that, of course, is people are very quick with their skepticism, both of the music and of the artist. Particularly, there was no shortage of judgment on Kanye West himself. I wonder how many of us 
could relate to that all by itself, right? Like you're the person that came to church and everybody went, say what? Going to church? You're the person that made a decision to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And all the people that had been your friends did everything they could do to find a chink in your armor, to try to remind you of who you were before that, right? They tried to tell you, you know, this isn't going to last. This is not the person you are. Why don't you hang out with us? Why don't you spend more time with us? You know, this is a, this is a total hypocrisy. You're a hypocrite and all sorts of other things. Like, and if it wasn't just about you, how about me? Okay. I mean, I'm your pastor. And I'll tell you what, if I went back to a class reunion of the class of 1978 and people, you know, somebody said Jerry Harris is pastor of a mega church and blah, 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 three, people would go, say what? Are you kidding me? And they would come up to me and they go, Jerry, remember when, and Jerry, did you, and he, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. do they know that I'm going to, I'm, I'm tweeting this, <laughs> right? Because we're all kind of in that same, in that same boat, you know, so I need to step back. I need to step back from that judgment. I need to step back from that condemnation. I don't know what God is doing, but it's pretty, pretty powerful in American culture right now. Allison downloaded it. My wife downloaded this. And I watched it on YouTube. And I'm a sucker for a great choir. And if you, if you like a great choir, oh my, like that, okay? Now, there are some incredible songs on this, worship songs on this album, but there was one that stood out to me, and it stood out to me because of what I've been wrestling with in the last half of this year, thinking about our numbers being larger and smaller at the same time. And that song that stood out was Closed on Sunday. Now, when I, you know, when we had our Christmas Eve services, we put cards down, invite people to Closed on Sunday, and people were like, I don't understand. Are we Closed on Sunday? <laughs> Are you, what are you talking about? Like, like, are we not having church? I'm like, no, no, that's the title. Of, uh, you know, yeah, I understand, but it's worth it. It was worth the confusion. And some of you are old enough, like me, to remember the reality of that statement. Some of you remember when you had to buy your gas on Saturday because the gas stations were closed on Sunday. Some of you remember when you had to get your groceries on Saturday because you weren't going to be able to get them on Sunday. Some of you remember when they didn't have any uh, uh, traveling leagues or school sports that had anything to do with Sunday, right? I can remember when they didn't have anything to do with Wednesday night. Yeah, I'm that old. Right. Because this idea of being closed on Sunday. Well, the way that Kanye West spun this had to do with, I am not going to let anything else take this priority away from me. And that was what blew my mind. That this guy who's been living this worldly life for all these years, this was just obvious to him. It was so obvious that he wrote a song about it and did a video about it. Of all people, understanding that this was not an optional part of his life, that it was critical to his, not only his own life, but to his marriage and to his family. And he makes this declaration to stand against the culture, to make his faith his first priority because he knows what's at stake. You know, Jezebel don't even stand a chance. I mean, this is what he's saying now. Now, how is it that Kanye gets this so quickly while so many of us seem to struggle with it? 
with our 1.6 to 1.8 times a month? Why is it that he gets this idea that this part of his life is really not optional? It's critical. Now, before I go any farther, this is not a series about Kanye West, but it is about what he discovered and what he shared and this priority in our life of being closed on Sunday. When I, when I studied this, I was driven to Acts chapter 2 because Acts chapter 2 is all about the birth of the church, right? And it gives us this template of what God expects from those who wish to follow Jesus Christ. And when you go to Acts 2.41 to 2.47, it gives you 10 of these foundation stones, okay? Now we know, the Apostle Paul taught us this, that the church is built on the foundation of the blood of Jesus Christ. He said there's no foundation that can be laid other than the one that is already laid, and that foundation is Jesus Christ. But in Acts 2.41 to 2.47, what he does is he explains to us the 10 foundation stones that sit on that foundation that is Jesus Christ, that's laid on top of that, that foundation of Christ himself. And they are not optional, and they define us both individually and as a people. And the first one is found in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. But you really need to spin up to that. You need to understand what gets us to the 41st verse. Now, you know what happened in Acts chapter 2. This is, uh, this is 50 days after Jesus dies on the cross. He's ascended back into heaven. The apostles are waiting in the upper room for what was called the promise of the Father. And the Holy Spirit comes down that day. And they go out into the street and they begin preaching about the wonderful works of God. And as they do that, everyone is heard in their own language. And people are mesmerized. They're confused by this. They're wondering what's going on. They're on the southern steps of the temple area. And Peter stands up and begins to deliver a sermon. It's the first sermon of the church. You're witnessing the birth of the church. And this is how he ends his sermon Starting in verse 36, he says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. That would be time and space. That means you and me today. And for, whom, uh, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Are we in a corrupt generation? Amen. And those, here's verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized. Everybody say that? Baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. What happened here? The people heard the message. They believed the message. And their confession of Christ shows their desire for repentance, for a life change. And then Simon Peter gives them the first step 
into this new life. And that first step is baptism. Now, if there are 10 things, and there are here in 241 to 247, that Christians do, baptism is the first of them. And it's first for a reason. Baptism is our initiation into salvation. It's our first confession. It's our sinner's prayer. It's our cleansing. It's our clothing. It's our guarantee. It's our initial connection to the act that saved us, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And here's what I want to do. I want to take that apart for a little bit to help you understand this first of 10 foundation stones to help you understand it better. I don't want to take for granted that, that we already have this figured out because I think a lot of us don't, all right? Here's the first. Baptism is the way God has chosen to signify us stepping over the line. I want to say that again. Baptism is the way God has chosen to signify us stepping over the line. People in theological circles want to argue this. They'll say that baptism is a work and you're not saved by work or works. That's not true. Baptism is not something you do. It's something that is done to you, right? People that would say that's a work would talk about the sinner's prayer, but the sinner's prayer is actually something you do. This is not something you do. It's something that's done to you. And we see this example over and over again in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, there is no conversion story in the New Testament that isn't accompanied with a baptism story. Now, it happened at the temple, this place that we're talking about on the day of Pentecost, right? Where all these people heard the message, thousands and thousands heard the message, and 3,000 people were baptized on that first day. But it didn't have to happen in a temple. It didn't have to happen with a crowd of people. You read a story in Acts chapter 8 of Philip and an Ethiopian who'd come up. He was an official from Ethiopia and he'd come up to Jerusalem to purchase some things. And he's on his way back looking at a scroll. He's reading out of the book of Isaiah and the Holy Spirit directs Philip to his chariot, his wagon and Philip asks him if he understands what he's reading. He says, I don't. How can I unless somebody helps me to understand it? And Philip takes that opportunity to tell him the story of Jesus Christ. And as this chariot's going along, they go by some water. And the Ethiopian has been listening to Philip and he says, here's water. Why can't I be baptized? And the Bible says that Philip and the Ethiopian went down into the water, Philip baptized him, and then they came up out of the water, signifying what? That it was immersion, right? And it happened right there on the roadside between Jerusalem and Africa, the Gaza road, a desert road where they found some water. And it was just them. It also happened at midnight or a little after midnight in the city of Philippi. You see, Paul and Silas had been imprisoned for exercising a demon out of a girl that used to tell fortunes, right? And they've been beaten within an inch of their lives and they're down in this, in this dungeon at night and they're singing hymns. And around midnight, the Bible says that God shook that place with an earthquake and he opened all the prison doors and the Philippian jailer drew his sword to kill himself because he was gonna lose all of his prisoners and Paul says, don't harm yourself. We're all st still here. 
And the jailer says, what do I need to do to be saved? Now he's not talking about eternal salvation. He's talking about why I shouldn't kill myself. But Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll be saved, you and your whole house. And it says that that same hour of the night, he took his family and they all were baptized in that same hour of the night. So it happened in the middle of the night. It happened on the side of the road. It happened with 3,000 people in a throng of 1,000. And it happened to some of the most vile people that you read about in the New Testament. None was more vile than Saul of Tarsus. None was more vile than the person who made it his personal mission to imprison, torture, and kill Christians. And yet God spoke to Ananias and said, I want you to go to this man named Saul because he's praying and I want you to baptize him. And Ananias acted like, God, you don't have been reading the paper lately. Don't you know who this guy is? Well, God knew exactly who Saul was. And it was in that moment that Saul went from the old life to the new life. You see, it's a line that separates us, the past in our lives from the future in our lives. And that's the first thing we need to understand about baptism is that it is that dividing line. Second, baptism is the way that God wants us to ask him to save us. It's amazing how we want to fill that blank in ourselves. Here's how I decide I want to be saved. This is the way that God asks us to ask him to save us. How do I know that? Well, the same guy that preached that very first sermon on the day of Pentecost wrote 1 Peter, because his name was Peter, right? And this is what he said in verse 21 of chapter 3. And this water, that's baptism, he's talking about the great flood. He goes, this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but a pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The pledge of a good conscience toward God. I want to break that down. That word pledge, it can also be translated plea. It isn't just a statement of intent. It's also a way to ask, okay? And I want to, I want to challenge you with the idea of good conscience. I mean, how many of you at any of our locations right now say, I got a good conscience. It's all good. How many of you right now, some area of your life right now, you have a guilty conscience. Right now, you're dealing with a reality. I am. I am. Idle words that were spoken, ways that I should have responded that I didn't. I mean, all sorts of things, right? Pride issues. Every one of us at all of our locations, honestly, we have a guilty conscience. And the only way that we can get a good conscience is to have it cleared. Have you ever heard of having a clear conscience? A good conscience is a clear conscience. And the only way you get a clear conscience is when you ask for forgiveness and then you receive it. And the person that we need to ask forgiveness from is God himself. And God is willing and able to provide that forgiveness. He wants to provide that forgiveness. So what is it? It's a plea for that. What? Baptism. The like figure wearing to baptism now also saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but a plea to God for a clear conscience, a pledge to God for a good conscience. Just as sure as Noah and his family were saved from the great flood, baptism, like an ark in the water, saves us from the wrath of God. 
These are the way that this is the way I ask for terms of surrender. In Romans chapter five, it says we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. You can't have peace with someone unless you recognize that you were an enemy at one time. We were an enemy at one time, but now we have peace with God through Christ. How do we have that? When we ask Christ to come into our hearts, how do we do that? Well, we don't do that on our terms. We do that on his terms. This is the way he wants us to ask. It is a plea to God for a clear conscience. So baptism is a prayer without words. It's a prayer by illustration. This is what I'm declaring. This is what I'm believing. This is what I'm asking. Number three, baptism makes me clean and presentable to God. In the book of Acts chapter 22, verse 16, Ananias is speaking to Saul. And this is what he says. And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized and wash away your sins. Wash your sins away, calling on his name, the name of the Lord. This is how it was described to Saul, that there was a cleansing that would happen, a cleansing of sin that would happen. From God's perspective, this scripture tells us that this is what makes me clean. It's not the water. It's what happens in the water. And if you ever wonder that, just look at the faces of the people that you see getting baptized every week. Because that's what it looks like when you're made clean and you're made whole. When your sins are forgiven, that's what it looks like. Now, it is not something that just cleanses me. It also clothes me. It clothes me. And it's in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. That's the Apostle Paul. The one who was told, wash away your sins, is the one who wrote that it clothes us. Listen, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Now we might just, just read right over that and miss this. And it's a shame if we do, because how awful is it? Think about this. All of us someday are going to have to stand before almighty God. The Bible says we'll have to give an account for all of the things that we've done in this body that God has kept a record of everything you've ever done and he is going to expose that record someday in heaven when you stand before him. Does that scare you? It scares me to death. It scares me to death, right? How awful it is to stand before God and to be naked and exposed and laid bare before him because he sees everything. This takes us all the way back to the shame of the Garden of Eden at the very beginning of the Bible, right? Because when they violated God's law, they knew that they were naked. And so what did they do? They tried to clothe themselves with fig leaves. I wonder what your fig leaf is today. I wonder what it is that you're trying to cover that up with today. Because it doesn't work with God. God saw right through that with Adam and Eve, and he sees right through that with you. And that's a terribly frightening thing, except when you are clothed with Christ. When you are clothed with Christ, you don't have to stand naked and exposed and laid bare before God because you are covered. Your nakedness is covered in Christ. You don't have to be ashamed because your past is gone. It's forgotten by God. God says, I will remember your sin no more. No more. I think of the story 
when Jesus and his apostles went across the sea to a land called Gadara, and there was a demoniac there, someone who was filled with a legion of demons, and he ran up to the boat screaming and hollering naked out of the, the, out of the cemetery, screaming at Jesus. And Jesus stepped out of that boat calmly and got the demons out of that man. And the Bible says that his mind returned to him. And when they came back, he was clothed. Some of you have had a pretty, pretty dismal past. You might not be called a demoniac, but some people would say you were kind of possessed, right? Hey, truth. But what is it like to be clothed in Christ? Baptism is spiritual clothing. Those who have been baptized into Christ have been clothed in Christ. Oh, what a comfort that is. Number four, baptism connects me to the only thing that could ever save me. In Romans chapter six, verses three to five, the apostle Paul writes this, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ, Jesus, were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the father, we too may live a new life. Listen to verse five. Oh, powerful. If we've been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. Now, why is this so important? Well, because baptism is the way a non-believer connects with Jesus Christ. He doesn't just connect with Jesus Christ. He connects with the death of Jesus Christ. He connects in, by in connecting with the death of Christ, he's connecting with the blood of Jesus Christ because it was in his death that Jesus shed his blood. And the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And so as a non-believer, I have to find a way to connect to the blood of Jesus Christ. Where do I get that blood of Jesus Christ? It comes in baptism. I'll tell you why. Because this is why it's immersion. Because when I go down into the waters, look, watch this. I'm going down into the water. It's a picture of me dying. And when I'm under the water, it is a picture of me being buried. I guarantee if you never let a guy up, that'd be what you'd be doing next. And when I come up out of the water, I'm being raised to walk in a new life, right? Baptism by immersion is a picture of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's your first testimony. This is what I believe. I believe Jesus died for me. I believe that Jesus was buried for me, that he took my sins as far away from me as the east from, is from the west. And I believe that I have been raised with Christ. I have a new life. I got it from him. I'm in Christ. I'm a new creation now. I've gone over the line in the sand I've asked him to save me the way he asked me to do it. Every New Testament word, every usage of this word in the original language means to immerse. Because God, it matters to God that we are illustrating the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Not sprinkling, it's being immersed. It's a picture of what Jesus did. Now I want you to see what happens in verse 5. If we've been united with him in his death, we will certainly be united with him in his resurrection. You know what that's called? It's called a promise. If, then. If we did this, 
then this is what God will do. Did you hear that? If we've been united with him in the likeness of a death, we will certainly be united with him in the likeness of his resurrection. Oh boy, what a promise. How many of you are going to have to depend on the mercy of God? Raise your hand. Yeah. How many of you would rather stand on the promise of God? So we're all going to have to depend on his mercy, but wherever I can stand on a promise, I'm taking the promise. Right? And this is a promise I stand on. Because I remember the day when I was eight years old in a swimming pool at Westwood Country Club that my dad got in the water and that my pastor, John Smithwick, baptized me into Jesus Christ. And I, can, I know it. I still have the certificate of it. Now, I don't know if I need to show that when I go to heaven, but, but I have the promise because that did not go unnoticed by my Father in heaven. And it did not go unnoticed by my Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you want to know how critical that is to these 10 foundations that make up what we call church, there hasn't been a week in the last 15 years. There hasn't been a week in the last 15 years that the crossing hasn't celebrated somebody's baptism. Not one. Not one. It's the most important thing that we do with the gospel of Jesus. And it's this picture of becoming a new creation in Jesus Christ. Now, the weekend of Super Bowl is February 2nd. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to make it super. And the way we're going to make it super is anybody that wants to get baptized on the 2nd of February, we want to have a mass baptism. I'm praying to God we'll have 100 people baptized on that one day. You want to pray that with me? You pray that with me, all right? We'll just make that, we'll just make that football game something else that we did that day. Because this is going to be the big deal, right? We're going to steal this show because the angels in heaven are going to sing. And if you need to talk to somebody about that, you've got this space of time between now and then to get your questions answered, to ask whatever you need to ask, to get prepared as much as you need to get prepared because we plan on doing that on February 2nd. But you don't have to wait. Are you kidding me? You don't have to wait. That water's warm over there right now. Every one of our locations has a baptistry. They have stuff to change into. You don't have to wait one minute. You can be baptized right now. You have a family that's ready to receive you. Yesterday at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I attended a funeral in Pike County. It was for Landon Davenport. He was 14 years old, and he was born with Down syndrome. And he uh, contracted leukemia and he died from complications from leukemia. And he was a, a blood-bought, baptized believer in Christ. And if you ever attended a Pike County campus, he let you know it. He loved the Lord. And so yesterday they had a celebration service for Landon's life. And there wasn't any space left in that building. It was completely full. They brought in a bunch of chairs. They set all those down. There were three fire departments that brought, I think, six fire trucks because he loved fire trucks. And, and I mean, what a witness, what an incredible witness. And his family said, the best thing that could ever happen for Landon is that somebody at this funeral service would be baptized, would accept Christ and be baptized. And when that service ended, there was an altar call and two of his classmates said, I want to make Jesus Christ Lord of my life. And they got baptized in that water. Wow. Talk about God taking something, 
where the world would just only know how to mourn and yet we know how to celebrate because we know Landon is celebrating and we can celebrate with him. Two more people in heaven because Landon wanted that to happen. Baptism is the first step to being closed on Sunday, if you know what I mean. It's the first step to saying, now that's my priority. It's a perfect picture of a New Year's resolution that'll provide joy in the good times and hope in the hard times. You need that? I need that. Joy in the good times and hope in the hard times? I have no idea what 2020 is bringing. Everybody's prognosticating. And there's not a lot that you're going to be able to do to change the circumstances around you. But you can do this. And it'll make all the difference in the world. Starting that new life with Jesus Christ. We're moving to a time, a decision. Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that choose to give to this ministry. It's because of your generosity that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit thecrossing.net forward slash podcast for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, tagging One Crossing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.